This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Renee Buckingham, President of Humana's Primary Care Organization, a payer agnostic subsidiary of Humana. Renee, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare. It's a dynamic space, especially thinking about primary care and what's ahead. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I uh, will be celebrating my 23rd anniversary with Humana in February. And for the last four and a half years, I've had the opportunity to lead our payer agnostic senior focused primary care business, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail here um, in just a bit. Um, And prior to uh, running our primary care business, I ran one of our uh, Medicare divisions and, and had the opportunity to, to think about how we serve um, you know, patients from, from an insurance perspective, which has really been great foundation as, as I transitioned into the, the clinical business. And prior to that, I had a number of leadership roles um, in the provider contracting, provider development area of our business including um, the development of our pay for performance uh, curriculum and contracting uh, vehicles that we use um, in, our, in our provider contracting organization as we work to support primary care physicians moving from fee-for-service payment to value-based payment. Absolutely. Wow, that is fascinating. It sounds like you've gotten all these different experiences within the business and the healthcare space, and especially thinking about that pay for performance and really what value-based care needs to be. It seems like that would be so, so helpful when then jumping into running the primary care organization. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Humana has had a long history in supporting primary care physicians in what we now refer to as value-based care, but Humana has really recognized the unique relationship between a primary care physician and a, and a patient and, and how that can be a moment of influence in terms of how people can be supported to achieve their best health. And so for you know, 30 plus years, uh, you know, Humana has had a commitment to supporting primary care physicians. And so, obviously, I had a lot of opportunity to think about that, you know, in our contracting organization as we started to change the payment um, for uh, value and paying physicians for the outcomes that they were driving for the people that we serve. Um, but now, it, you know, it's, it's really interesting to, to think about the transition um, into running a clinical business where the entire business is built around the unique needs of seniors and especially seniors that are in Medicare Advantage plans. So we we are a value-based, senior-focused primary care group. That's fantastic to hear. And really, you know, it sounds like that is so helpful and so beneficial for communities that you're serving. Now, considering where we've been the past few years coming through the pandemic and then you know, what the economy is like currently and, and looking ahead, what are your top priorities today? What are you spending most of your time on? Yeah, well, you know, I don't think any of us could have predicted what the last two, two and a half years was going to look like, you know, as, as we entered those first few weeks of the pandemic. 
and and really, you know, every aspect of our business really had to be considered to make sure that we were keeping our patients safe and keeping our clinical team safe as we as we worked to ensure, you know, that we could continue to provide access um, to healthcare uh, to our patients. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we were able to maintain, um, you know, all of our locations and keep our locations open um, and to provide services to patients. We also spent a lot of time, like many others, you know, focused on um, creating robust virtual care services. We even did, you know, drive-by visits where patients stayed in their cars and, and we had clinicians working outside providing providing support and care in that way. And all of that, I think, has really contributed to some of the challenges that we're dealing with across the entire healthcare ecosystem. And that is just, you know, the, the, the exhaustion of our, of our clinicians, you know, our physicians, our nurses, our medical assistants, you know, anyone who's interacting um, with patients in the healthcare field, I think all feels like, you know, the last two years have been been very hard and 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 very tiresome, and so we're we're thinking a lot right now, Laura, about you know how we address that that sense of burnout, how we create a clinical model that supports clinicians and and the entire care team um, to really be able to take care of patients at the highest and best use of of their clinical capabilities. Um, and, and really trying to make sure that we're creating um, a clinical environment, a clinical culture that really supports them such that we can overcome some of the challenges of, of, of burnout and, and make sure that we can you know, continue to support not only our patients, but also our growth goals over the next uh, two to three years. Got it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's just so interesting to hear you um, from your side of things really being so much focused on designing those clinical care models and, and really supporting your um, staff to, to make sure there's no burnout amongst the clinical team and really moving forward in a way that makes sense um, for both patients as well as the clinical team. And when you think about that, what does it really take to get you from where you're at today to what the ideal state would be? Is it technology? Is it about how you're um, working with your teams and how the teams work together? What types of initiatives or, or things have really been um, difference makers or do you see as being difference makers in the future? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Um, one is, you know, I, I talked briefly about clinical culture. I think it's really important, um, you know, to make sure that clinicians, you know, lead other clinicians and that they have administrative partners um, that are working, you know, side by side with them to really help drive the business forward. And so we have really doubled down on what we refer to as the dyad leadership structure, where every physician leader has a related administrative leader, all the way down to um, the individual physician, um, you know, practicing in a in a center with a with a center administrator. And so we we think that has really um, had a very positive impact on our overall clinical engagement and clinical culture. I think the other thing that we've been spending time working on and, and trying to advance is our care team approach. Um, you know, we provide comprehensive, holistic care for our seniors who are our patients, and we do that through 
you know, not only having physicians and nurses um, and medical assistants uh, as part of a care team, but we've also embedded clinical pharmacists, social workers, behavioral health specialists, um, who all work in concert together on, you know, affecting um, that care plan that the doctor and patient have agreed to. And so we think that also contributes to the continued evolution and involvement of the way in which we can meet the demands of our patients. And then finally, I would say that third area is one that you touched on, which is really um, advancing our technology and our data and analytics uh, to provide insight to our clinicians to help them make the best clinical decisions. And, you know, we, we want to be able to enable as many uh, clinical interactions with data and next best action information for our clinicians to deliver the best quality care possible for our patients. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And really thinking about that as being the goal and all those confluence of the culture and the technology and bringing everything together in the right types of care models. How are you thinking about growth and investment over the next two years or so? Yeah, well, we we are a high growth company and, um, you know, in we've partnered with private equity to support us in in the development and expansion of our geographic footprint. Um, we recently just announced a second joint venture with Wells Carson Anderson Stowe, a private equity firm that is helping to underwrite about 100 of our new centers, which we plan to open over the next three years. And we're just wrapping up um, the launching of a little over 50 centers with them in, in, a, in a relationship that we announced several years ago. Um, today, we operate about 223 uh, locations across the country in 10, 10 states. You know, we, we talked in Investor Day that, you know, we expect to double that by the end of 2025. And so we've, we've got a lot going on, um, you know, to, to support expansion and growth. Uh, but that's just, a, you know, a few, a few things that we're doing relative to investment. Obviously, technology, data, and analytics is obviously another area where we're investing heavily to really support that objective to constantly evolve and inform our clinicians to make the best clinical decision-making. I would say those are probably the two areas of, of greatest investment at this point. Got it. I think that really is just so interesting to see that high level of expansion and growth within your clinics and how you're able to really scale that model. What's it like in order to, uh, you know, not only the nuts and bolts of creating these centers, but then make sure that um, the teams that you're bringing on board are running them effectively and really delivering the right type of care to patients? Yeah. Well, you know, having a well-defined playbook um, that ensures that we really have that very repeatable model that we can take to a variety of, of, of new um, parts of the country, you know, that include, um, you know, very large metropolitan areas, suburban communities, as well as rural locations, you know, with a commitment, I think, to, to help bring new capability, new services to communities especially those communities that are medically underserved and haven't really had access to 
the kind of integrated senior focused primary care that that we bring. You know, we we have said um, that we intend to open 30 to 35 de novo centers a year for the next few years, um, and recently announced you know the the expansion into Phoenix and Dallas, Nashville, Louisville, Charlotte. And, and as a result of that, you know, we've got to be really good with our training and our repeatability. And so, you know, that technology really helps um, support that, as well as dedicated teams that, that also support and enable that growth as well. Got it. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and really seems like it's an effective way to scale quickly and, and easily spread um, the business. So uh, before we wrap up our conversation, I just wanted to ask you one more question. What are you most excited about right now? You know, I am really excited about um, our ability to take this kind of unique senior focused care to, a, you know, a number of communities where people have not had access, they've had to use emergency rooms, um, you know, for their care. I'm excited about the fact that we are helping, you know, the, some of the most important and precious resources our company, our country has, which is seniors, you know, achieve their best health by, by helping them address not only their, their current medical uh, conditions, we're working with them to slow down disease progression. We're helping them to address some of the social determinants that so many of our seniors face, things like housing challenges and nutrition gaps, transportation gaps. And I feel like we are part of you know, a movement in our country to really address the gaps that exist in our healthcare uh, system today by, by refining and, and innovating around our seniors and the way that they receive care. That's fantastic and definitely something to be excited about. You know, all of us, of course, you know, have family that need that type of care and then we'll need care um, that way as well as, as time goes on. And so it just seems like such an important way to, as you said, protect those resources and make sure that people can have long and fulfilled lives. Yes, and you know, I would say, We'll all want this kind of care when we get to that point, you know, in our life's journey. And any of us who are dealing with aging parents or grandparents, you know, I think have an opportunity to see just how fragmented and challenging, you know, it is to navigate our healthcare system today. And I feel as though um, in some small way, our organization is having an impact on you know, changing the way in which the the healthcare uh, ecosystem provides care to seniors, and you know, I feel really privileged to to be a part of an organization that is so committed uh, to really making those types of changes. Absolutely, and as you mentioned, obviously, you know, a better um, experience for seniors and their families. But then, too, I know, you know, a lot of um, healthcare dollars are spent um, during those years in the care as uh, seniors age. And so is that another factor in trying some of the strategies that you're working on or how does the financial side play into things? Yeah, you know, the majority of our patients are Medicare Advantage patients, um, some of whom have Humana coverage, but many have coverage with other 
um, health plans, uh, you know, outside of Humana. We I think we have over 50 uh, contracts with with other Medicare Advantage plans. And the way in which Medicare Advantage works, we're able to take, you know, global risk, a percentage of the overall total premium, and provide the total care um, for our patients. And that allows us, as a result, to invest in things that aren't typically paid for in a fee-for-service medicine environment. So, for example, I mentioned social working and clinical pharmacists and other healthcare professionals who don't typically bill for services, we're able, uh, because we are accountable for the total cost of care, we're able to include those staff members in our operating costs and, and cover those operating costs as a result of being at um, global risk or financial risk from our health plan partners. Fantastic. Well, Renee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun and informative discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thanks so much, Laura. Really appreciate it.